three days after Election Day, Arizona is still counting votes with lots of key races still hanging in the balance, including the governor's race and a Senate race that will help determine control of the chamber in Washington. Welcome to The Gaggle, a politics podcast from the Arizona Republic and azcentral.com. I'm your host, Ron Hansen. I cover national politics for the Republic. In this bonus edition of The Gaggle, we'll update you on Arizona's biggest unsettled races and we'll go over one of the more pressing subplots to the election so far. Did glitches overshadow the results? Joining me to help make sense of it all are my colleagues, Stacey Barchinger, who covers the governor's race, Mary Jo Pitzel, who's covering the race for Secretary of State and election administration issues around the state, and Sasha Hupka, who covers Maricopa County and the election efforts in the state's most populous jurisdiction. Ladies, thanks for making time in what has already been a very long week. As a disclaimer for our listeners, we're recording this on Friday morning, so lots can still change in the election results. Please go to azcentral.com for the latest information on all these races. I want to start by setting the table with a handful of races. As we record, Democrat Katie Hobbs has a narrow lead on Republican Kerry Lake in the governor's race. Democrat Mark Kelly has a six-digit lead over Republican Blake Masters in the U.S. Senate race. And it's a similar story for Democrat Adrian Fontes over Republican Mark Fincham in the race for Secretary of State. You probably noticed the common theme here is that Democrats continue to hold to leads they first showed when early voting results were first announced Tuesday night. There is still about 500,000 votes to count, and there's good reason to think many of those will be Republican-leaning, sometimes in large numbers. The question is whether it will be enough for Republicans to win. So with all of that, Stacy, let's start with your race because it seems like What happens there could offer some guidance in other close contests at the moment. Can Carrie Lake still win? And should we still think of her as the favorite, given what we think we know about the remaining ballots? Well, at this point, I haven't considered who is the favorite. To your point in the intro, things are so unsettled at this point. We've seen so much shifting that I'm really hesitant to name either of these candidates as a favorite. What we do know is there is a definite path for Carrie Lake to win this race. Katie Hobbs could too, but if patterns that we saw in 2020 hold, where if Republicans dominate the ballots that were dropped off on election day, those will very likely favor Carrie Lake. And based on the math that we're doing in our reporter's notebooks, could carry her to victory. One of the things that my sources are saying, though, is 2020 upended voting patterns in Arizona and how they were for a significant amount of time before that. So I'm just hesitant to read too much into the tea leaves of a number of voters who showed up on election day to drop off their ballots. It is definitely true that Carrie Lake is dominating people who voted in person on election day. And so we can sort of extrapolate from that that she'll fare well in these dropped off ballots. But we just don't know for sure. Do we have any estimate as to what kind of vote share Carrie Lake needs to still pull this out, given the number of ballots that remain? How extraordinary does she have to win by in the remaining ballot counts? It's actually not that much. Based on our math, and I worked with my colleague Ray Stern on this this morning, it's about 53% of the remaining votes. Very doable. 
There are other Democrats who are in a similar position to Hobbs right now. Chris Mays has a narrow lead in the attorney general's race. Kathy Hoffman has a few more votes in the school superintendent's race. Jevin Hodge has a small lead in a congressional race in the Scottsdale and North Central Phoenix area. Are they all hoping for another red ripple at this point? Is the same dynamic that is at work for Lake also applying for the Republicans in those races? Do they face the same sort of basic math? Yeah, I think so. I mean, as you said at the top, all of these races are so close. And this is the fun part of living in a purple state, right, is we all are working every night to see these updated vote totals. I think across the board, Republicans are counting on dropped off ballots coming in strong for them and potentially pushing them over the top of some of these Democrats that have leads now to be determined. Mary Jo, you want to jump in on that? Yeah, I think an exception to that is the Secretary of State race. Um, Mark Fincham has consistently trailed Adrian Fontes. The margin between them has only grown for Fontes as more votes are tallied. He sort of breaks from the norm and does not seem to be benefiting from the wave of support that Carrie Lake has attracted. Staying with Mary Jo and pulling in Sasha here, the rhetoric from Carrie Lake, Mark Fincham, and Blake Masters seemed to grow more cagey on Thursday as none of them overtook their Democratic opponents as the counting continued. There were hints of lawsuits and a vulgar assessment of the process from Mark Fincham. We've definitely had problems in the elections in Maricopa County. Sasha, what happened and is there any credible reason to think it impacted voting or tabulation at this point? Tuesday was a bad day for Maricopa County, and I think saying that is an understatement. They tried so hard. I've been told that the elections director, after we had issues, minor issues, but issues nonetheless, with ink smearing during the primaries, literally sat with sample ballots and a bunch of different types of felt-tip pens and tested them all, and they swapped from Pentels to Papermates. They apparently tested the printer settings and how those played with the tabulators. And unfortunately for them, that was clearly not enough because when polls opened on Tuesday, it was pretty immediately clear to poll workers that something was wrong. The tabulators were not taking the ballots that were being fed to them. And at first they thought it was a tabulator problem, so they tried cleaning them. And that wasn't working, and they tried calling the hotline that the county had set up, and I'm told that hotline was very busy, so they had some difficulty actually getting in touch with anybody over at the county. Um, but when they did, they were basically told, this is happening in other places, and we don't really know what to do about it. Just try what you can and hang in there. And the problems persisted into the afternoon until finally around 2 p.m. They figured out what the problem was and they started dispatching people to start working on it and fixing it. The question is, you know, did that disenfranchise voters? And the county was giving instructions to voters that if their ballot was not going into the tabulator, they could wait until it gets fixed, you know, hang around or come back. Or they could go to another vote center. Um, a lot of them were pretty proximate to each other, so it wasn't too far of a drive or a hike. Or they could put their ballot, which they had already marked, into the now infamous door three or drawer three or box three. It sounds like the title of a sci-fi movie, if you ask me. Um, but this box is a secure drop box, basically, that would hold the ballots they would be taken to the tabulation, tabulation center at the end of the night by a bipartisan team. So there were those safeguards in there. 
Interestingly, when the Republicans made um, an attempt to extend voting hours and went to court to make that argument, they had no evidence of anybody who said, well, hey, I couldn't vote because of this. So it's raised a question that, yes, a bad day for Maricopa County. It's not a good look when you can't get your ballot to go into the machine, but it looks like there were workarounds. And still, despite that, we're hearing candidates like Carrie Lake and Mark Fincham raise this as an issue as they continue to question elections. Like their platforms until this point have been election denialism or at least election questioning. And this is just another point that they can talk about in, you know, in that sort of like war on election systems. And again, I mean, I think it's worth noting that voters have a good reason to be frustrated with the county. This shouldn't have happened. And the fact that it happened at 30% of the county's polling sites does not make it any better. It was pretty widespread. But I think the thing is, the county says nobody was disenfranchised. There was a redundancy in place, as Mary Jo described, to actually allow people to still vote and for those votes to be counted. And really, I think the question is, who actually seizes on this, like really seizes on this and says, I lost and I lost because Maricopa County screwed up. For some races that are yet unsettled, we've yet to see, we've seen people throw shots at the county. We've seen them say the results are taking too long and the process is screwed up. But we have not yet, to my knowledge, and correct me if I'm wrong, we haven't yet seen anybody say the race was stolen from me. I lost or I'm losing because Maricopa County screwed up in-person voting and the people who wanted to come and vote for me were disenfranchised and weren't able to. And I'm curious about when you all who are following races think we might see that if we are going to, given that there's a good potential that some of these races, you know, we could end up with kind of a mixed bag on the state level with some Republicans winning seats and some Dems winning seats. I'll take a pass on your your question just for a moment. I want to say something explicitly here that I think is important to understand with this, that there has been a shift in the way people vote that Stacey alluded to earlier. And what we see is Democrats voting in early balloting in large numbers and people who show up to vote on election day being largely Republican and in some cases overwhelmingly Republican. So the problems that you all are talking about largely affected Republican votes. And here we sit on Friday with Republicans trailing in statewide races almost across the board. And this is something that has given great angst to conservatives across the state and contributes to a sense that there must be something afoot that is nefarious about the whole thing. Sasha, is there any credibility, though, to the, the, this problem having been foreseeable or so botched in its uh, resolution that it has now effectively put a thumb on the scale? I don't think so. And I would push back on the sense, yes, we know based on voting patterns that there's a potential that there were more Republican voters impacted than Democratic voters impacted. But the Republican Party and Republican candidates are the ones that told all of their supporters to go out and vote on Election Day and on Election Day only. And I think that that is something that bears 
repeating. They told people, go vote on election day. Don't vote by mail. Don't vote early. They told people who were going to receive early ballots that if they wanted to cast those early ballots, that they should drop them off on election day, which is the reason why we're seeing that, you know, results take time to come when they do that because they need to go for signature verification and they need to tabulate them. And so I think that it's a little bit disingenuous to say the county is trying to, in fact, I think it's outright false to say the county issues mean that Republicans are going to lose or that they're still trailing right now. I think that the process is working the way it has always worked. And yes, there was this issue, but there was also a redundancy that still allowed people to vote. Every vote is still going to be counted. And that we know of, that we have evidence of, as Mary Jo said, nobody was disenfranchised. Okay, so we have been down this road before where people have said the process worked. It may not have been totally perfect, but uh, we spent all of 2021, it seemed, revisiting the 2020 election because of claims that somehow the process was not fair. Mary Jo, Sasha put a challenge to us. Is anyone likely to claim that this election was not fair? You have any prediction who that might be? Well, for my money, it would probably be Mark Fincham um, because, A, he's Mark Fincham and his brand has been to be very skeptical of the whole election process. B, he and Carrie Lake have an appeal before the Ninth Circuit Court of Appeals where uh, on their lawsuit seeking to ban the use of machines in election matters at all. And C, because he has consistently trailed his opponent and is on a path probably to not win. He is not performing as well as his GOP colleagues. So my money would be on him. And I did want to comment, you know, Ron, you were talking about, you know, how the early voting favored Democrats, you know, the day of is Republicans. So the complaints, though, are really go to the order in which the counties process ballots. You know, all, all the vote's in, folks. You know, I mean, there's somebody out there, you know, way up above maybe knows the results. The results will be known. But if the complaint is that this is unfair to one party or the other, I don't understand that because you can't count all the votes all at once. Um, so there has to be a process. They count the early ballots first. Then they count the day of. And now we're going into this long, prolonged effort to count all the ballots that were dropped off on election day. And we shall see, you know, as Stacey had mentioned, we don't know for sure if that's going to, it probably will favor Republicans quite a bit, but this is a new pattern. And actually, there isn't a pattern yet. This is just a new phenomenon. Stacey, we have seen this before during the primary where Carrie Lake was sort of intimating there may be something wrong with the vote counting process when she was not doing as she had hoped in the governor's primary race, everything turned out fine for her in that segment of the election. How is she handling this in the general election context? Any predictions on how that might play itself out over the next day or so? Yeah. And I mean, she didn't intimate anything in the primary. She said there was stealing going on and then ultimately she won and she doesn't talk about this so much anymore. So um, intimate from that what you will. What we have heard from her over the last couple of days while we are waiting for these votes to get to a point where there's any certainty on who will win is really calling out, especially Maricopa County officials, about this vote count taking so long and really in sometimes just aggressive terms calling them incompetent, 
Her lawyer, Harmeet Dillon, was on Fox News last night raising these same issues. I think it's fair to see that as possible groundwork for legal challenges that were surely come. But again, there's so many votes outstanding. It's possible that Carrie Lake will win. And then where do these claims go? She said she wants to, if elected, call a special session to make whatever changes are possible to make the counting happen um, quicker. How that would actually come to be is just a little bit complicated to understand because you have, you know, 2.5 million votes that you would need to count on paper ballots in a single day. And how do you do that without machines? Like Mary Jo had mentioned, how many people do you need? How much money do you need to make that happen? That's all sort of unknown at this point. But I do think it's interesting that she's talking about calling a special session because I think that almost indicates that she does have some understanding of why results do take so long in Arizona. And that is because election officials have to count according to state statute. And state statute says that you can't count the provisionals and you can't count ballots that require signature curing or the process of essentially triple verifying a signature with a voter because you're not able to independently verify it until five business days after the election day. And so with close races, obviously, that also puts things on hold until about probably mid-next week, depending on how close things are, if those votes make a difference. There is, it seems, a paradox at work with all of this that for Republicans in particular who have really sort of harped on the need for election integrity while also demanding election speed in terms of counting votes, the problem is if you want to have the convenience of mail-in voting or ballots that require signatures on the outside of them, that takes time to process. And that seems to be an obstacle to quick resolutions that many of these Republicans are now demanding. Sasha, I want to have you just sort of clarify for everybody, who is in charge of the elections process in Maricopa County? Are they a Democrat? Are they Republicans? The county government? Are they controlled by Democrats or Republicans? That's a complicated question for a few reasons. I think the most obvious answer is that it's relatively Republican-controlled. And the reason why is because there are technically two bodies that oversee elections in Maricopa County. You have the recorder's office, which currently is run by recorder Stephen Richer. He is a Republican. And then you have the county board of supervisors. And Currently, that's headed by Chairman Bill Gates. He is a Republican, as are three of his colleagues on the five-member board. There is one Democrat. So the answer party-wise would generally be Republicans. But I do think it's worth maybe diving into a little bit how elections are run here because it's a relatively unique arrangement. So as of 2019, there is an elections operations agreement in effect in Maricopa County. Essentially, that agreement was a sign of the Board of Supervisors taking back some of their statutory authority to run portions of elections in the county. And the board and kind of the staff that work under the board within the elections department run election day voting and tabulation and emergency voting. The recorder's office is in charge of voter registration. Um, They are also in charge of early voting um, and early, like, in-person voting. So those are their responsibilities. And 
that recently has been something that has come up quite a bit in some of these press conferences and statements that you guys might have seen from Maricopa County officials because it seems as though they're trying to kind of draw those lines of distinction a little bit clearer between who does what. I've been told by recorder's office staff that uh, the recorder's office is not particularly pleased that the heat um, over the problems on Election Day seems to be coming back down on them. Um, they think that that is a county problem and that the county is responsible and needs to make those delineations a little clearer. Um, the recorder and uh, Chairman Bill Gates both tell me that there is absolutely no tension between anybody and we're all a big happy family and we are, as they have been saying, for months now, one Maricopa County working as a team in this election process. Mary Jo, to clarify for anyone who may not totally understand Arizona's processes, Katie Hobbs, who is the Democrat running for the governor's race, is also Secretary of State in Arizona. That position oversees the uh, the election results. How involved is her office in sort of the election processes that are conducted down at the ground level in places like Maricopa County? They're involved to the extent that they do logic and accuracy tests um, on the machinery before the election. They receive a feed from all the counties on the election results and aggregate them, put them on their website. But for the most part, you know, and, the, and they'll, they'll field questions, but a lot of them then get bounced out to the respective county. And of late, when there have been public statements, um, those have all come from the Assistant Secretary of State, Ali Bones. Uh, Katie Hobbs um, has not been speaking about the process. Just to put a fine point on that, on Tuesday, after we started seeing these issues, at the time we thought with the tabulators, I reached out to the Secretary of State's office. They said that Secretary Hobbs stepped back from the logic and accuracy testing this cycle. She was not involved in it. Obviously, her office was. But because she's on the ballot, they took that precaution to keep her away from that process. And in kind of a funny tidbit, Maricopa County slapped back at a viral tweet yesterday on the internet that showed an election worker who wore glasses and she had brown hair that was kind of, I don't know, shoulder length. So I, I guess she had some vague resemblance to Katie Hobbs. The tweet incorrectly said that it was Katie Hobbs in the tabulation room and the county politely said it is not and you really should not just assume that all workers with glasses are Katie Hobbs. A moment of levity in all of this, I guess. <laughs> I mean, I'll tell you the other thing. There was one county that Tuesday was really, really good for, and that is our friends down in Pinal County. Pinal County had a hellish primary, but they came back, they redeemed themselves, and now Elections Director Virginia Ross can step away as her temporary contract to be Elections Director ends, go into retirement, and make her $200,000 salary for fixing Pinal County's election problems. Quick so fix. good for them. And the people of Pinal County thank her. Mary Jo, there was another county that was also in the mix heading into the election as a source of controversy or potential controversy, and that involved Cochise County in southeastern Arizona. They wanted to do a hand count of the ballots that were cast in this election. At what phase in all this process and where does that whole controversy stand at the moment? Yeah, the situation in Cochise has been a real tennis match. But the supervisors, two of the three members, said, we want to hand count every single ballot 
They were told by numerous elections officials that there is no authority in the law to do that. They pressed ahead. They got sued. A judge ruled that, no, you can't do this. You don't have the authority. They have now taken their appeal to the Supreme Court, trying to skip over the appeals court and sort of uh, speed things up. Uh, Meanwhile, despite the judge's um, uh, injunction against them proceeding with this 100% hand count, they took the first steps to do so. So we'll see if the courts are going to have anything to say about that. And then just yesterday, I learned that one of the supervisors said, okay, so the law says we can't do 100%. So let's do 99.9%. And she wants that put on an upcoming agenda for the supervisors to revise the aim of their hand count. What this all gets to is they say they want this just to serve as, first it was just to serve as a check on the machine count. Then the recorder was saying, well, no, this would be this would be the governing, <laughs> the prevailing result. And as we can assume, as well as we know from watching the whole Cyber Ninja episode last year, from what's happened in other states and other experience, machine counts and and 100% pan recounts don't match. And then that raises all kinds of questions. And that makes you wonder, what's the whole purpose of this, except perhaps to raise questions and keep them going into the 2024 cycle? I want to give an update on the U.S. Senate race here as well for just a moment. Senator Mark Kelly has a sizable lead over Blake Masters, the Republican in that race. Masters maintains he will overtake Kelly as the remaining votes are counted This was expected to be a very close race by the campaign's end, and both sides still expect this race to tighten up quite a bit before it's all said and done. I'm curious, Ron, when we talk about the Senate race, because this was one of those races I was thinking about when I threw out that challenge earlier, that question for all of you. What do you expect Blake Masters to say as this race tightens up? Do you think ultimately you can say at this point whether it's likely for him to prevail or not? Yeah, I think that we will know a lot more at the end of today. The fact is that Blake Masters needs for votes to really start turning Republican in a pretty substantial way. He thinks that's possible given the uh, kinds of ballots and where they're coming from and when they were cast, that there is still a plausible path to winning I will say that Dave Wasserman, someone who has been on the gaggle previously, who is an analyst for the nonpartisan Cook Report, he has already called this race uh, using his signature line, I've seen enough. He's already said that he has seen enough in Arizona to suggest that that path does not exist for Blake Masters. But Masters' campaign yesterday sent out an email to supporters urging donations. They were sort of intimating that they need to see that all legal votes are counted. And there's some whispers of legal challenges brewing uh, in several different corners of Arizona's uh, conservative quarters. So the fact is, I think we'll know a lot more about the trajectory of that race at the end of today. It is notable that of all the Republicans running statewide in competitive races, Blake Masters actually had the fewest votes as of late Thursday. So he's underperforming even Mark Fincham in the Secretary of State's race. So if Kerry Lake somehow wins and Blake Masters falls short, it could really start to undermine, it would seem, any claims that this election were somehow rigged, stolen, or otherwise compromised. We will have to leave it there. Thank you, ladies, for joining me on the mic today. 
If people want to follow your work, where can they find you on Twitter? Thanks so much for having us. I'm Sasha Hupka. That's at S-A-S-H-A-H-U-P-K-A on Twitter. And they can follow me in coverage of the governor's race at S. Barchinger. It's S-B-A-R-C-H-E-N-G-E-R. And I'm at Mary J. Pitzel, P-I-T-Z-L. And of course, you can read all their reporting on azcentral.com. You can follow me on Twitter at Ronald J. Hansen, and that's H-A-N-S-E-N. This episode was edited and produced by Kaylee Monahan. She's on Twitter at Kaylee Monahan. That's K-A-E-L-Y-M-O-N-A-H-A-N. Remember to rate and review us, and if you like this episode, share it with a friend. The Gaggle will be back with our regularly scheduled episode on Wednesday. Until then, I'm Ron Hansen. Thanks for listening.